Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 11 verses 23 to 26. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. We're in the middle of a series right now called Living by Faith, in which we are looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and considering the stories of various men and women throughout scripture who have trusted God, clung on to his promises, lived by faith and experienced his faithfulness, often through incredibly difficult circumstances. And the reason that we're looking at these stories is not just because they're interesting stories, although of course they are, but rather because our hope and prayer is that by examining these stories of faith, it will inspire faith in us so that we can also live lives of faith in the circumstances that we face, both as individuals, but also together as a community. And our hope and prayer is that we will be a church that lives by faith so that we are able to communicate hope and trust in God and a message of good news to a city that we love that is facing uncertain times. And today we want to look at uh, the story of Moses a little bit. And Moses is a great example of faith. His story is probably quite familiar to many of us, I'm sure. We could preach a whole series on Moses. There are so many principles of faith. But I just want to draw out one today that comes from these verses that we've heard read. And then in two weeks time, Ralph Arthur, who is one of the leaders in our East services, he'll continue looking a bit further at Moses' story. But let me give us a bit of background. So at this point in the biblical story, Moses and God's people are living in Egypt. It's somewhere around the middle of the second century BC. It's hard to date it exactly. But they have got to Egypt through the journey that was taken by some of the people we've previously seen in this series. So Abraham was given promises from God, promises of a land and a great offspring, and he trusted God, but he lived by faith. He followed God and God took him to this promised land where he and his descendants lived. Now, one of his descendants, a man named Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers. And as Andy told us last week, he actually ended up in Egypt, where through some strange twists and turns and and the grace and favour of God, he rose through the ranks of Egyptian society and ended up actually in a position of high power within the king's household, ruling over the nation. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph has died, but his whole family has relocated to Egypt. And that is where the book of Genesis ends. And and you turn over the page to Exodus and about 430 years passes in that single page turn. And loads goes on during that period. But we're told that at the beginning of Exodus, a new king had arisen who did not know Joseph. 
And this king, rather than seeing Joseph's offspring and the Hebrew people as being valuable members of society, he actually considered them a threat. He was worried by the power they were gaining and and the, the fact that their numbers were increasing. And so he enslaved them, put them in harsh working conditions. And yet God still continued to preserve them and protect them, even in slavery in Egypt. And so the king decided to up his game. He decided that they were so much of a threat that he made a command that any male newborn Hebrew child should be put to death by being cast into the Nile. Just awful, awful circumstances. Now, it's into this context that a lady named Jochebed had a small child, a boy child, and she kept him hidden for three months, which is no mean feat because newborns are not quiet. I would love to know her secret. She keeps him hidden for three months, but when it gets to the point that she can't keep him hidden any longer, she takes a step of faith. We're told that she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she places her child into the basket and gently, in faith, pushes it out onto the Nile. Now that description of the basket is really important because the word for the basket is actually the very same word used in Genesis to describe Noah's ark. And the description with the bitumen and pitch is exactly the same as the construction of the ark. In other words, the writers of scripture want us to know that that Jochebed is doing what we are hoping to do through this series and what Hebrews is hoping to inspire us to do. That is, she is remembering back to examples of faith and the faithfulness of God. And she is pleading with God, just as these people trusted you in faith and you showed yourself to be faithful, would you also be faithful to my son? And there are so many things about Moses' story that actually mirror Noah's story. He is cast out in an ark on the chaotic waters. And in a strange sense, somehow the contents of this ark hold the fate of the world in their hands. And God shows himself to be faithful. The Pharaoh's daughter happens to stumble across this this child in the reeds in the water and she draws him out. She takes pity on him and she raises him as if he were her own. And actually the name she gives him is Moses, which means to be drawn out, which she obviously gave because she drew him out of the water. But within the story and the plan of God, actually it has a double meaning because it's through Moses, this miraculous child, that God is planning to draw out his people from Egypt and take them back to freedom in the promised land. And we're told in the verses that we heard read earlier that there came a point in Moses' life where he had been raised in Pharaoh's household in this place of incredible privilege and luxury, but there came a point where he realised he needed to make a choice. He needed to make a step of faith. And he would no longer be uh, or allow himself to be identified as a son of Pharaoh, but rather as a child of God. It's like he looked at his current circumstances living in Egypt as a child of that kingdom and he compared it to the kingdom of God's people and the promises they had over their lives and he realised, actually, I need to make a decision in faith. I need to no longer identify with this kingdom, but this kingdom. And so he identified himself with the people of God, even though that meant entering into their suffering. And what I want to look at today is that decision in faith. And I want to suggest this. Faith is not uh, just about wishful thinking. It's not just about being hopeful or optimistic. Faith is actually about making a calculated decision. That's what Moses does. He makes a calculated decision. 
You see, Moses looked at these two sets of circumstances, the luxurious circumstances that he was living in and the suffering of the people of God, and he recognised that even though he had pleasures in the moment that came from Egypt, they were actually fleeting and they were sinful. Whereas the people of God, even though they were going through difficulty and, and enslavement right now, they had promises over them of a hope and a future and a land and an identity that far outweighed anything Egypt could ever offer. And so Moses considered these, is the term that's used, he considered them, he made a calculation, and he calculated that it was better for him to identify with God's people, even though that would mean loss in the moment, rather than stay identified with Egypt. He made a calculation. Faith makes a calculated decision, not based just on the circumstances as they seem in the moment, but how you believe the story is going to pan out. Let me give you an example. I remember years ago at school as a child being taught about a man named Percy Shaw, who was the inventor of cat's eyes, by which I of course mean the small reflective things that you get on roads, not the actual eyes of cats. We all know they were invented by the devil. Cats are of the devil. Just my personal opinion. But Percy Shaw invented these things, and, and the story goes, and I don't know if this is true or just one of those things that we were told in order to, to make a point, but the story goes that he was given a, a decision, an opportunity, for two different ways he could be paid for his invention. Either he could receive an enormous lump sum, some huge sort of eye-watering amount, but a one-off payment, or he could be paid one farthing for every cat's eye that was created. And we will pose this dilemma as school kids, like which is the best one to choose? And of course, the decision or the way you make that decision depends on, on your calculations. It depends on what you value most and how you believe the story is going to pan out. Let me explain. You see, if what you value most is something immediate, it's having the money now in your bank account now so you can enjoy it now and think about what you can buy now, then of course you're going to go for the one-off payment. But if you have faith in the way this story is going to be, be uh, panning out and you trust that your product is going to be reproduced again and again and again, because of your faith in that future story, you are willing to take a, a momentary loss of having less disposable income so that in the long run you get a greater reward. Now, I can't remember which one I chose as a, as a school kid. I probably went for the immediate option and thought about how many sweets I could buy. Uh, but I, the story goes that Percy Shaw looked at these options and he chose the one farthing per cat's eye and ended, ended up with a far greater reward than the one-off payment would ever have delivered. In a strange kind of way, I think that is a brilliant illustration of faith. You see, faith looks not just at the immediate circumstances, but it looks at the way you believe this story is going to go. And it makes a decision based on the, 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 the long-term reward over the immediate offer. Moses looked at these two sets of circumstances and he recognised this one is fleeting. But there are eternal promises here that far outweigh anything Egypt can offer. And so in faith, he made his calculations, he considered, and he chose to identify with the people of God, even though that was the harder path. My question is this, how do you make calculations of faith? Are you more tempted by the immediate things rather than the long-term promises God has for you? Moses looks at the pleasures of Egypt and we're told he came to a realisation that they were two things, they were fleeting and they were sinful. 
That is, they were fleeting, they were temporary, they couldn't last. They may have brought genuine pleasure in the moment, but their days were numbered. They would fail him, they would run out eventually. But also he recognised that they were sinful. And it doesn't tell us in Hebrews exactly why he, he decided that, but I think it's quite clear that the pleasures he was receiving in Egypt were actually won through oppression of the Hebrew people. And so there must have come a point where Moses looked at these pleasures he was enjoying and realised, if I stay enjoying these, I'm actually complicit in a system that is built on injustice. And I'm actually going to find myself mistreating others and standing in opposition to God's plan and his promises. And so because of that decision, because of that realisation, these things are fleeting and sinful, and yet the promises of God far outweigh them. Moses felt empowered by faith to take a decision to identify no longer as a son of Egypt, but now as a child of God, even though that meant walking the harder path. If I'm honest, I can often find myself swayed towards the immediate options in front of me. I can often find myself tempted by things that are fleeting or sinful. Like fleeting things that may not be bad in and of themselves. There are plenty of good gifts that we can end up pursuing and, and they're not inherently wrong. It's not wrong to, to have possessions or, or money or to want good relationships or a reputation or, or, or anything like that. But if we seek eternal security through these things that are temporary, that are fleeting, that will ultimately fail us, then we put a burden on those things they simply cannot deliver. And if we put our eternal hope in temporary things, then when they fail us, and they will fail us, we are left with nothing. I'm not only, though, if I'm honest, tempted by fleeting things, good things that are just temporary. I can often find myself tempted, as I'm sure you can, by things that deep down I know are wrong. Things that just feel like they'll give me pleasure in the moment. But really, if I examine them honestly, I realise, well, I don't like the way that I become when I pursue these. They're destructive. They have negative influences on me. They cause my relationship with God to be sort of sullied somehow and they cause me to mistreat others. The term the Bible uses for that is things that are sinful. And we can so often get swayed by these temporary things that seem to give pleasure in the moment, but really they undermine our faith in God and they may cause us to miss out on the great reward. The story of Moses tells us that the, the act of faith means not putting your trust in things that are fleeting or sinful, but rather resisting or renouncing those things in pursuit of a greater reward. Something that isn't fleeting, but is eternal and immovable. Something that isn't sinful, but is perfect and pure. And actually that is not a thing, that something is not a thing, it's a person, is Jesus Christ. You see, Hebrews tells us this just astonishing phrase. It says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Moses lived 1500 years before the coming of Jesus. He didn't know what Jesus would be like or what he would come and do. So what, what, what is going on in this verse? Well, I want to suggest two things. I think firstly, Moses was putting his faith in the promises of God. And somehow, whether he knew it or not, that meant he was actually putting his faith in the one who would come and deliver those promises in Jesus himself. But secondly, I think there is also something beautiful about the, the nature of Moses' faith. Because by identifying himself with the people of God, even in their suffering, Moses was actually prefiguring what Christ would come and do. 1500 years later, God stepped into this world, taking on flesh, and he identified himself with humanity in our suffering, even to the point of dying on a cross on our behalf. 
And why did he do that? Hebrews 12 tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is the perfect example of faith. He looked at the great reward that he was longing for, a world free from the powers of sin, sickness, suffering, pain and death. And he thought if to get that reward, it requires me to enter into the suffering of humanity, even dying in their place, then it's worth it. That was his step of faith. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. So that we, by identifying ourselves with Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, can put to death our old lives, can be broken free from the power of of temptation to fleeting and sinful things, and we can know newness of life. Just as Jesus was raised again from the dead, we know we can experience new life now and we will also have eternal life when Jesus comes back, makes this world new and raises up us up to spend eternity with God. Now, if you are here because you are exploring questions of faith, I'm sure you have enormous questions. You probably will find it helpful to talk to someone. You'll probably want to grapple with that further. My encouragement is talk to someone who you know who is already a follower of Jesus. Ask them to explain what faith means to them. If someone sent you a link to this service, get in touch with them, uh, ask them about it personally. But if you would like to speak to me or to any member of our team, we would love to talk to you answer your questions and pray with you. We've already heard today about the Alpha course and James's experience on that course. It's a brilliant place to grapple with some of your big questions and consider the claims and the person of Jesus Christ. If you would be interested in that, go to our website, christchurchlondon.org forward slash alpha, and you can find information about our future courses. But if you would like to pray with someone today so that you can begin to experience relationship with God and that new life right now, today, by faith, you can do that. Just click on the request prayer tab at the bottom of the screen and one of our team will happily talk to you about any questions, explain what it means to follow Jesus and pray with you if that's what you would like today. But it may well be that actually you're already a follower of Jesus. I want to encourage you, living by faith is not something we just do once when we say yes to Jesus and we decide to start following him. Actually, living by faith is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of resisting the temporary, fleeting, sinful things that would take us away from the eternal reward. And instead, living the whole of our lives with our eyes set on that great reward so that it inspires faith within us. So my question to you is this. Are there ways in which God is calling you today to resist the the things of Egypt, as it were, and instead pursue the things of his kingdom? Let me tell you the story of Dr. Ida Scudder. You may never have heard of her, but she was a remarkable woman with a remarkable story of faith. She was born in 1870 to missionary parents. Her father was actually a third generation American medical missionary who had spent much of his life working and ministering in India. When she was a child, the family relocated to the States for a short time and there she fell in love with America and the American dream. And she was adamant she never wanted to go back to India and she certainly didn't want to be a missionary. And so when her parents decided to return to India, she actually stayed with family members and grew up in Chicago. And there, her biographer tells us that she gave herself to the pursuit of the American dream. And when asked what constituted the good life, she said, America and marriage to a millionaire. That was her dream. That was her goal. That was the thing she was living for. 
Years later, her mother fell seriously ill, and so she went to visit her in India and stay for a period while her mother was recovering. And when she was there, apparently the whole time she was just eager to get back to America. They tried to get her to help out in the school she'd established, and she did it reluctantly, but she just wanted to get back to her life of comfort. And then something happened that changed her life. Actually, three things happened, or rather one thing happened three times in an evening that completely changed the trajectory of her life. She was at home one evening and there was a knock on the door. When she answered it, there was a wealthy businessman who explained that his wife was seriously ill. She was in labour and she was dying. The midwives were unable to do anything. Could she, could Ida come and help? Now, Ida explained that she had no medical skills, but she offered to send her father. The man refused, saying that according to the customs of, of their culture, it was inappropriate for a male medic to operate on a female patient. And so despite her pleading with him, the man went away, leaving her just feeling helpless. A couple of hours later, there was another knock at the door. She expected it to be the same man back again, having changed his mind, but instead it was a different man, but exactly the same story. Exactly the same story of a, a wife who was dying in labour. Could she come and help? She said she couldn't. She had no skills, but she offered her father. The man refused. A few hours later, exactly the same thing happened. Three times in one evening, those knocks on the door had left her feeling helpless. And she went to bed that night just feeling like she was torn in two. She wrote about it later in her journal and said that on the one hand, she just longed to get back to America, to this, this life of comfort that she was really missing. But on the other hand, she couldn't shake the idea that maybe these knocks on the door had been more than just a coincidence. And so she prayed and she said in her journal that that evening it was like she saw the face of God. Everything changed. Her whole value system changed and faith rose within her. She moved back to America where she trained to get a medical degree. No mean feat because many of the institutions and colleges were not accepting female students. She raised enormous amounts of money so that when she went back to India, actually after the death of her parents, she was able to establish a hospital. And in the first two years alone, she cared for personally 5,000 patients, often going into the poorest villages and operating on the roadside. But she knew that if she was to leave a legacy, she couldn't do it alone. She decided to raise more funds to open a training college and to train female medics. People laughed at her, people mocked her, they were skeptical, they said it would never work. In the first year, she received 151 applications for students. Ida gave her life to pursuing this kingdom vision, this vision that God had given her of making a difference in a nation that needed her. And as the needs grew and grew and grew, as the needs of the hospital grew and the college grew, she had to raise enormous amounts of funds and live by faith. And when asked about her secret and the things she learned, she said this, first ponder, then dare. Know your facts, count the cost, what you are building is not a medical school, it is the kingdom of God. So don't err on the side of being too small. If this is the will of God, it has to be done. That is faith. Ponder, calculate, count the cost and dare. Consider what you are doing to be the kingdom of God and don't settle for small. If it's the will of God, it has to be done. I want to encourage us to live lives of faith like that. As a young girl, Ida Scudder said she would never return to India. By the end of her life, she had spent 60 years there caring for people. And the hospital that she built currently, today, treats 2 million patients every year and delivers 15,000 children every single year. Faith leaves an incredible legacy. And what changed? 
when God knocked on the door of her heart. Through the hands of those three men, she responded in faith. She made a calculation that this vision of the life that she had been pursuing, it just didn't compare to the vision of the life that God was calling her to. The reward there was far greater. And so she took the path of suffering in faith. My question to you is this. Is God knocking on the door of your heart? And what would it look like for you today? to choose to follow him in faith? What would it look like for us as a church to choose to follow him by living in faith? In a moment, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna return to worship and that's an opportunity really for you to explore that question with God, to ask for strength and courage to live by faith and to commit to following him. And it may be that today already you know that there are particular things you need to lay down like Moses did Maybe things that are good things but fleeting, but you have been tempted to make them ultimate. Or maybe things that you have been doing or living for that, if you're totally honest, you know are wrong. You know they're sinful. Today, would you choose to lay them down and receive forgiveness from God? It may be that you know there are particular things he's asking you to pick up. And right now you look at them and you think that just seems too hard. That seems too difficult. That, that, that's a way of loss, a way of suffering. Today, would you make a decision to follow God in faith and ask him by his Holy Spirit to fill you with courage? It may be that you have no idea what God is speaking to you about. As we worship, why not just express your openness to him and then listen for those knocks on the door of your heart like the knocks on the door of Ida's house in the night. It may well be that God will inspire you even as we worship in these next few minutes to know how to follow him in faith. Or it may be that you have already been following him in faith. Maybe you've taken steps of trusting him and it has been difficult. In which case, I wanna pray that God will fill you with fresh faith by his spirit so that you can follow him into all he has for you. Why don't we pray? Come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a people and a church that live by faith? Let us ponder, calculate, Count the cost and dare. Help us not to be tempted by fleeting or temporary or or even sinful things, but instead to pursue you and your great reward. We put our trust in you and we choose to live for the reward of knowing you, of eternal life and the privilege of getting to be part of building your kingdom. Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? Give us courage to follow you even when it is hard and would you use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.